It's Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences, eating 90 loaves in 90 days. She's pitching loaf, pitching loaf. Tune in and carb up. 90 loaves in 90 days. We're pitching loaf, pitching loaf. You're listening to the Pitching a Loaf podcast. Welcome to Pitching a Loaf Podcast. This is the sixth episode of our series. Today, we'll be talking about having eyes in the oven. My name is Lynn Carson, founder and CEO of Bakerpedia, the only resource you should refer to for any technical baking questions. My co-host today is a veteran of the baking industry, David DeBlau from Parados. Hello, David. Have you eaten any bread today? Yes, I did, uh, Lynn, and uh, I'm back this week in, in Belgium, my home country, and it was really good to have again those nice crusty rolls that I grew up with. But it's not that important what I ate today. Uh, it's more important on how you are doing uh, along your journey. So how is it going? How far are you now? Well, this is our sixth podcast, um, so we are almost halfway there. <laughs> Halfway, so that's a that's a long trip already. So, I'm gonna um, get to 45 days this goals? week. Are you still exercising? Uh, yes, you know I did gain some weight last week after visiting uh, Seattle, um, but um, last last weekend I, I lost it due to my bread diet. So therefore, you know, showing that a strict diet based on bread can help you maintain the weight you want. Um, it also gives me a lot of energy. A lot of energy, so you must have had some really, really good bread. So, which bread did yeah. you consume last weekend? What was your favorite one and not so favorite one, maybe? Um, last week, I have Alvarado Street Bakery sprouted whole wheat and yeah, delicious onion and poppy seed bagel. White chocolate cranberry pecan bread from Parados using authentic durum. That's day 32 on my blog. A Vietnamese-style banh mi. Um, uh, French baguette kind of bread and to learn more about that read my day 34 um, some paleo bread from Holista Foods Aro wheat 100% whole wheat and my favorite white bread really Sara Lee's Artisano and my favorite wo- bread for last week was the white chocolate cranberry pecan bread from Parados because it really had high quality white chocolate and I could taste that the chocolate was not milky or waxy. It was just really smooth and crisp. So thank you guys for sending that delicious white chocolate bread over. And the most interesting bread I ate last week was the paleo bread, David. So paleo bread. I've, had, I've heard some things about it, but what, what exactly is it? Well, it is a blend. So instead of um, using wheat flour on any wheat-based products. They only believe in using grains and seeds. So paleo bread uses a blend of coconut, almonds, seeds, and eggs. Um, actually, it's the best paleo bread I've tasted, but you know, not something that I would recommend unless you're on a paleo diet. So you can read um, day 31 on my blog for more information on that. Well, you know, paleo, since it doesn't use wheat, it is not the easiest kind of bread to make. Um, so, David, in your opinion, how hard 
is it, do you think, to make paleo bread on a large scale? And, and do you think this paleo diet is a trend? Well, we, uh, we have friends, and uh, one of our friends, his, uh, his wife, she's on a paleo diet, and I've seen some breads coming out of her kitchen, and that uh, looked a little bit like a challenge. <laughs> so I think if you start making it a large scale, it becomes even more of a challenge. Um, so yeah, and just the fact that I hear a lot about paleo, uh, paleo bread and paleo diets, the, I think it is really something which is, which is coming up and a lot of people are paying attention to. So. Yeah, and paleo had, but bread is, is really hard to make in general. Um, but what I really want to focus today is all about what happens in the oven. David, how do you think most bakers set their oven? Oh, I think most of the bakers, if you look from an artisan point of view, they just bake, majority, they just bake by color and time. And that's it. They don't care about convection or they don't care that much about moisture laws and so on. I remember in the bakery that I used to work, we didn't care at all. And we wanted to have an uneven bake on our rack of bread because some customers, they like to have a light baked bread. Some customers wanted to have a dark baked bread. So I, I would say... By most, by by sight and color, at the end of the day. Okay. Do you do you believe that's a scientific way of understanding what goes on in the oven? There, there must be, Ellen. Otherwise, you would not uh, you would not ask the question. And I think you're referring <laughs> to thermal profiling. Yes. How would you do that? Um, well, the answer to that question is yes. And thermal profiling is something that I do very frequently because I truly believe in it. And um, I've seen it uh, create a lot of uh, a consistent quality. I see it solve quality issues. And most of the time, I see it um, as a tool to conserve uh, energy uh, in the baking process. I regularly use BakeWatch, Vmol, and Bradometer to study the thermal profiles in the oven. And I do this especially when the baker has a complaint about moldy bread or shelf life. So, uh, yeah. I heard, I heard that the, uh, that the, the system is, is quite expensive. So how would, you, how would you justify the cost of owning one of those uh, one of those thermal profile loggers. Yes, a, a thermal profiler is not just a few hundred dollars. It's actually you know quite an investment. So um, I've reached out to the baking community um, and asked you know a, a baker today uh, with me today is Arif. He will help me explain the justification of buying a thermal profiler. Arif, t- can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Uh, sure. Um, I'm actually the uh, vice president of the uh, bakery that uh, that we work at, and um, I've been doing this for about 26 years. Wow. And uh, my main responsibilities are really from a uh, operational uh, perspective is to uh, make sure that uh, we are following our process procedures and um, really uh, running the plant as efficient as, as possible. Great. So... Arif, are you doing today any any thermal profiling? And if so, what what problems uh, are you experiencing uh, through that? Uh, yes, actually, uh, our company recently purchased a BakeWatch uh, profiler, uh, and uh, I started uh, using uh, that um, uh, unit uh, to uh, to kind of get a, an assessment as to 
you know, what is really happening to the product as it's being baked in our uh, oven. Great. Okay. And um, have you, I mean, you have shared some uh, thermal profiles with me. Can you uh, talk about uh, what you saw initially? Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, our initial uh, problem that we had was uncontrollable uh, uh, bread bursting on the sides outside of the scoring um, region. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been suffering with this problem uh, on and off for about three years. Right. Uh, and uh, we've had numerous ingredient technicians come in and try to resolve the issue, uh, but we've never been able to, um, you know, uh, have a stable and predictable uh, result. So uh, we've kind of had to live with, uh, you know, a 10 to 15 percent uh, waste wow. uh, through 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 this process, and um, never really pinpointing, um, you know, um, uh, like what the cause is. So uh, we made a decision to um, invest in this uh, uh, profiler because that was really the mystery. Um, you know, uh, you can put something in, it looks great going in. When it comes out at the other end, you know, all hell breaks loose and you don't really know what, what, uh, what happened. Correct. And the initial um, graphs that you gave me show a really arri- early arrival of 60%. Um, yes. Uh, so I, I went to your website, which had uh, the uh, big S curve um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a typical, uh, uh, I guess, a profile of uh, when your yeast kill uh, arrival and, um, uh, sorry, gelatinization and arrival should happen. And what, uh, through my first uh, few uh, readings, um, everything seemed to be happening twice as fast. Uh, and um, I was I was really shocked by those initial results. I, I was shocked and when I uh, saw your data too. I was no way you were, yeah. you were getting sixty percent and not burn your bread. <laughs> that's that's right. And when I did uh, share uh, the uh, profile uh, data and uh, pictures with you, you immediately uh, said that there is definitely something wrong with the methodolo- methodology of Correct. of me, you know, uh, the process on how I was profiling. And you suggested, you know, putting the thermocouples because I didn't have the birdometer. Right. Uh, we we just purchased the um, the uh, profiler kit without the birdometer, and right. so you suggested putting the uh, thermocouples on a um, on a popsicle stick, and using that as my insertion um, uh, uh, method. And yeah. um, so I did that, and the results were like night and day. Uh, we had our first. Uh, profile that was actually within the the same um, I guess guidelines as uh, as what you have in your um, in, on your website on the um, great uh, thermal profile so you structure. you were able to bring your arrival up to closer to eighty or eighty five uh, yes in fact it was eighty five uh, gelatinization was at seventy one and That's our yield still was at sixty two percent that is that is better, <laughs> really. Yeah, that, that is. And so then, uh, so then I really, I guess, based on that result, um, and it was run on the uh, same uh, day as another uh, product. And uh, and I initially on my first run, I had the older results, which was everything was happening uh, early. Mm-hmm. And, and then when I did finally put this in, and it, you know, it totally changed. And then that's really where we made the connection. Okay, well, you know, you can have the equipment, but you also have to. Uh, use it properly to Correct. give you the right information. So, yes, I am sending you my um, birdometer on loan for a few days and see how it goes for Wonderful. you. I hope I hope you um, uh, get to realize that you need really need this tool and not just, um, 
you know, wires uh, standing all, you know, <laughs> sticking all over the place. This tool That's really right. helps um, get you precise reading and measurements. That's right. Um, That's right. And the, I think the thing know, is, our company is. Yeah. Sorry, the, I, I think that our company has made the investment. And yeah, I think so, it's a great uh, investment. To to you know to kind of stop short would be um, would be kind of cheating ourselves, really. Correct. So, did you even um, look at your arrivals and determine if you could cut down on the time? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, you know, um, as as I was doing my initial um, uh, runs, uh, uh, you suggested that you know I should uh, uh, reduce um, uh, my bake time. So we actually ended up. Uh, on one loaf, we uh, we dropped to four minutes off the uh, bake time. Wow! Uh, and uh, and uh, another loaf, we were uh, actually saved uh, two minutes on on the bake time. Wow! Great. So and I thought, uh, yeah, that was that was a real uh, big um, you know uh, cost savings. Yeah. My uh, you know my initial uh, setup was that our oven was our bottleneck, so I had to slow down. Our uh, bread divider to match the throughput of the oven. Wow! Uh, but now with the reduction in bake time, right. uh, I'll be able to increase our, our throughput uh, because I can return our divider back to uh, our original uh, speed. That awesome! We I think that birdometer attachment has already paid for itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might not get it back. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'll just ask Ray for another one. <laughs> Sure, for sure. Uh, but yes. that's definitely a tool. I, I love how you shared your story with us because I think a lot of bakers do experience this. Um, just looking at the oven, uh, you can't really tell a proper bake by just looking at the product, you know, si uh, temperature or color of the product. I really think you need to right. use a tool like that to set set your oven um, if effectively. Um, right. Also, um, David, do you have any more questions on, on thermal profiling? Uh, no, not really. But it looks like it looks like to Arif that uh, you, by looking on Bakerpedia, you've been uh, you've been able to save money. Oh, at yes. the end of uh, the day. <laughs> yeah, most most definitely, it's been actually a really great resource. Um, uh, you know, I just discovered it actually through um, uh, my contact at Bakewatch, um, the technical person that I was speaking to over there, who was helping me kind of just go through the the setup of the software and so on. Uh, turned me to uh, uh, Bakerpedia, so I actually ended up going on the website and and um, you know for the last two weeks uh, every evening I've been going into the uh, various sections and kind of um, you know these are some of the terms that you hear all the time being used in the industry right. and by different people, but you don't really you know know everything uh, behind uh, those uh, those terms and so on and so forth. So you know uh, one of the other things I was mentioning is that. We had this uh, uncontrollable uh, bursting uh, of our breads, and um, I went to the oxidization um, uh, section, and um, and also with my conversations with Lynn, uh, it was determined that perhaps our formulations were too strong, um, mm. and uh, and that we would actually need to uh, adjust and reduce the amount of dough conditioner that we were um, using in our breads. That's correct. I mean, that uh, the, the resource is always there to help you. Um, and another thing, um, I have a question for you on that one. Um, oxidation systems and blends like that usually react differently to the types and source of flour that you get. Um, okay. Are you getting green flour or are you getting real car flour um, that has been milled, you know, uh, more than a day? Uh, it's been um, milled for more than a day. Okay, so, um, and sometimes, you know, bakeries switch from... 
um, fresh flour that's been milled for less than 24 hours to real car flour that's been milled more than, you know, two weeks ago. And you do see a difference in oxidation strength between those kind of flour. So based on the source of your flour that you see, that's how you, you adjust your oxidation blend. So you can't really go at one particular level, say you use it at 1%. You can't use it at 1% all throughout the year. You have to really right. adjust yeah. that as you go along. Yeah. Yes, so. I've, I have noticed that, you know, we've had to tweak over over the years, The you know, depending on the time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we have um, uh, stronger flowers, uh, Correct. you know, weaker flowers. So there's always there's always um, a, an adjustment that you you have to do throughout uh, the you know the I guess the the uh, cycle of the year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, definitely, um, you know, by uh, I think by having the the profiler, it ruled, or it, it at least allows you to get into um, uh, a situation where you're baking optimally. Yes. And then now you can say, okay, well, you've ruled out that factor, and now you can focus on formulation. And we ended up, you know, running uh, three do- uh, three doughs with um, uh, various uh, three different levels, mm-hmm. and um, really, you know, all of them resulted um, in in positive, uh, uh, you know, uh, results. So we had like a ninety percent, ninety eight percent yield. Um, wow. So like a two percent waste, where wow. uh, you know ten to fifteen was kind of our what we accepted. Jeez. And um, so yeah, it was just like a miracle. Like that's you know, amazing. Uh, it, well, uh, congratulations. You know, yeah, one one week you're just uh, you know blowing bread all over the place, and then all of a sudden you you know you make a, a small adjustment to the formulation, and um, you know all of them uh, turned out. So we ended up uh, you know staying with a point two addition rate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of excitement in the bakery because, uh, you know, rather, uh, you know, from the management, like our production manager, our uh, president, uh, another vice president, uh, QA, everybody was gathered around watching these beautiful uh, uh, breads exiting out of the oven. Um, awesome. So do me so, a yeah. favor, Arif. Um, make sure yeah. you ask everyone to bookmark that dough conditioner page on Bakerpedia. And Yeah. And so that they can refer to it. You know, at times oh, like these. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So thank you, Arif. Thank you very much, Arif. You're more than welcome. It was my pleasure. Hey, you know, David, thermal p- profile issues are more frequent than you know. So what, yeah. do, you, what do you do? Well, indeed, and uh, I think we should ask uh, somebody who is an expert. So uh, on the line, we have Ray Pierce from uh, Baywatch. Uh, hi, Ray. Uh, how are you doing today? Good morning, David. Very well, thank you. Hey, Ray, can you tell our re- listeners what you do and the tool that would help us in our thermal profiling? Well, yeah, uh, certainly. Um, ECD Bakewatch is the inventor and manufacturer of the uh, of the Supermall Gold 2 and uh, mall thermal profiling in general, which provides uh, in transit thermal profiling. So wait, is it true? products, right? Is it true that Mole is your brand name for a thermal profiler? Uh, that is correct. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. A, a registered trademark and, uh, and a patented device. Uh-huh. All right, just just to, to clarify to some of our listeners who aren't very sure what the mole is. Um, so continue with that. <clears throat> yes, so um, 
the for the commercial baking industry uh, uh, globally, uh, including ingredients suppliers and uh, oven OEMs themselves, uh, along with the, uh, the the retail and wholesale bakeries, uh, the mole uh, represents the uh, the benchmark, if you will, for uh, uh, quality assurance and uh, the control necessary uh, gained through actual internal measurements. Uh, to uh, which results in high yield profitability uh, to the business. And what is it so critical about FSMA regulation and thermal profiling now? Uh, with the advent of the proactive approach that uh, that the Food Safety Modernization Act uh, brings to uh, or or has uh, confronted uh, industry with. Uh, there is a feature called um, the Killstep Protocol, as developed by the uh, uh, American Institute of Baking, which uh, which requires uh, actual thermal profiling of uh, of dough pieces to uh, create and uh, a report which proves that uh, at least five log uh, pathogen lethality for uh, for the salmonella has. Uh, is being achieved uh, for a given variety. So does all the bakeries need to do this, or uh, does this law apply only to certain bakeries? There has been, or there is in, uh, there is a, a list of uh, uh, deadlines. So the first has just occurred. So it's a matter looking at your bakery, uh, the size of your uh, uh, organization, essentially. The uh, last September, for instance, the uh, the deadline for bakeries with over uh, 500 employees has passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this fall, we're looking at a deadline for uh, bakeries that have uh, less than 500. And in 2018, in the fall, uh, bakeries that... Uh, have uh, less than uh, $1 million in, in sales uh, for a given year. Uh, so it behooves um, uh, the bakers to uh, get on board and uh, do this uh, kill step profiling, which uh, along with the things beyond uh, GFSI and uh, FSIS that have existed previously are layered onto uh, the, the hazards analysis and uh, record keeping required. So am I right to say if I'm a baker listening to this, I have a deadline by next fall, 2018, to make sure that I log the temperatures of, the, of all my products coming out of the oven? That's, uh, that would be the takeaway. Uh, I would agree with that, okay. yes. Well, that, that, that doesn't sound like uh, we have a lot of time, so we better get a lot of people out there listening to this and understanding that the FSMA regulation is going to um, come, da- come down on them uh, this fall for a certain size and next, you know, 2018 uh, uh, for everybody. Um, and to learn more about this regulation, just type in FSMA onto the search bar on Bakerpedia, and you'll get all the deadlines on there as well. Ray, I heard that you are at the Food Summit. Um, do you feel there is something important happening that you would like to share some more? Um, yes, certainly. Uh, this, uh, this was certainly very topical at the, at the Food Safety Summit in the, at the Rosemont in Chicago that um, 
the theme of which this year was solutions for today, planning for tomorrow. And uh, nothing's more uh, hits the mark than the fact that uh, uh, bakers are more and more realizing that uh, they need to get off the sidelines and uh, and get all their regulatory needs in shape, including including COSTA profiling. Um, mm-hmm. It was interesting, one of the... Uh, a uh, keynote uh, speakers, uh, uh, Kathy Gombas, was uh, who was uh, a, a former senior advisor uh, for food safety at the FDA. You know, you know talked about uh, you know the complexity of, of the rules and uh, how customers uh, don't necessarily you know, know where to start, uh, but uh, and uh, how to manage their supply chains. Uh, I can talk a bit about that. And uh, and also the need for affordable and timely uh, resources. So the uh, resources that uh, on the Bakerpedia site are, are can cer- certainly be a go-to uh, a resource uh, f- for such people. The uh, uh, one thing that was pointed out by <clears throat> Sean Stevens, who's a national food industry lawyer, uh, t- talks talked about. Uh, the fact that uh, you know we need to get uh, get over the fear of, of testing, you know, for for fear of what you <laughs> what you might find, it, it can be quite interesting. It's such a paradigm shift, in other words, uh, to this proactive approach, uh, and uh, you know it, it must be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are procrastinating procrastinating uh, too much, and uh, you know have a have a physma angst. Uh, as, a re- as a result, um, Craig Wilson of Costco uh, also spoke and uh, uh, about uh, such angst and uh, and but also as a, as a relief as mentioned, you know, there's so many GSFI uh, uh, carryovers and uh, heck, he he worked as a FSIS auditor for several decades as well and uh, and their organization uh, stands by a, a test and hold uh, supplier program so you know the you know the, the listeria the e coli and uh, and now the, the kill stepping uh, where appropriate for uh, whatever goods are are resold and not baked internally are are uh, are, are applied towards and uh, the reporting exists for uh, for the audit safe environment uh, for the longevity of the uh, uh, the bakery. Well, thank you, Ray, for jumping on here and sharing what you did at the summit. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Lynn. It, it's always an eye opener going to such uh, 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 meetings uh, with a mix of exhibition and. Uh, and uh, industry speakers, um, what uh, what uh, shows are, are you planning uh, to go to yet this year? Well, there's one coming up that I'm really excited about, and that's the Johnson & Wales University International Symposium on Bread at their no- Charlotte, North Carolina campus. Um, David and I will be doing an on-site podcast there with, with Peter Reinhardt and other passionate bakers. So um, I guess I will not see you there, but since you're in Portland, Ray, I will see you soon. Well, very good, Lynn, and uh, the rest of you at uh, Bakerpedia. Thank uh, you. We are glad uh, to affiliate with you folks, and 
onward and upward with yeah. uh, FISMA compliance. Talk to you soon, right? Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. And for the li- listeners tuning in, till the next podcast, love you later. You've been listening to Bakerpedia's Pitching a Loaf podcast, hosted by Dr. Ling Carson. Our show is co-hosted by Dave Doll and David Dublau. The Pitching a Loaf jingle is done by Creative Mills. Our associate producer is Anna Rink. Show notes by Joanna Evanouk. Our podcast cover art is designed by Kurt Rawsus. The Pitch in a Loaf podcast is produced at Bigfoot Podcast Network in the heart of beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon.